Marcelo Zuna representing the possible go-ahead run at second base. Orlando sends it fair by Hayes. The Braves have taken the lead as the big bear Marcelo Zuna comes home. And Pilar slides in safely on his heels, and it's 8-6. to six. Hey now. Hey now. What's up, everybody? Steve Bennett here. The Sportscasters Podcast, season 13, episode 15. It is August 9th, 2023, as we inch closer and closer to the glorious season that is fall. And with the fall, we will have the return of the NFL. We'll have the baseball playoffs, hockey will be back, college football, fun holidays, Paula goes back to school, all these good things will happen with fall. Can't wait, getting there, inching closer, inching closer. Great show today, on the podcast today, Field Yates from ESPN will join us to talk fantasy football. And I did it a little different maybe than expected. And I know it was a risk probably. Um, but I didn't just simply say, so Field, what about this guy? And what about this guy? And who do you like? Do you have any sleepers? Do you have any busts? We did some of that. But I kind of wanted to back up and do more of a big picture thing. Something a little, more, a little bit more evergreen with Field. Something that could be interesting if you weren't necessarily a player this year. And I think it turned out really well. Um, so I'm excited for you to hear that. Also on the show today, something we do every single year, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders will join us, but he's not with Football Outsiders anymore. Uh, he'll, he'll explain that, but Football Outsiders was a company he created, he sold, then worked for, and was forced to resign from because the company that bought it stopped paying everybody. Uh, and as you'll hear from him, there's a chance that the Almanac which he's on to promote every single year on this show, almost didn't happen. So we'll find all of that out from Aaron, and we'll also talk, of course, about the numbers and what the computers and the projections are saying about the NFL season this year. So it's one of my favorite spots every year. I told you last episode that this was coming, right? That it would only be a couple days till the next episode, and that when the next episode hit, we'd be starting football previews, and we'd be just off and running for the month and we are um so really looking forward to seeing who comes on the show this month i got tons of emails out text messages out and uh today is a great start um field yates is someone who's been on one time before uh when he was on matthew barry was still talking fantasy at espn and i think since matthew's departure it's sort of safe to say that field has sort of filled that void as the top guy talking fantasy at ESPN, and uh, he'll be on to do that in a minute. Uh, first things first, speaking of ESPN, uh, they took the plunge into gambling in an even greater way 
yesterday, uh, teaming with Penn uh, to create ESPN Bet, something like that. I think that's what it's called, ESPN Bet. Um, and Penn, of course, was the uh, partner uh, with Dave Port- Dave Portnoy's Barstool. And uh, Dave Portnoy pulled off one of the most amazing moves in the history of sports media. I mean, he created a, a company, Barstool, that I first heard of way back in the day on Howard Stern when he had made controversy maybe for the first time uh, because he had had an article in the original Barstool newsletter, I think at the time, about Tom Brady's son's penis. Um, I think it was like exposed in an article or something like that. Um, and <laughs> Howard Howard wasn't impressed with it. And Dave was sort of on trying to defend it. And that was the first time I've heard of him. Uh, from there, he built one of the most famous sports media internet companies we've ever seen. A controversial one for sure, polarizing. Something I've never been a huge fan of really till recently. I've gotten more interested. Uh, they have a, a sports game show called The Dozen that I, I love. I love sports game shows. And this one mixes pop culture smartly, um, which is something I think that Barstool does pretty well. And through watching that and learning some of the characters, I've enjoyed it a bit more. And I think something else that happened is that the company was 10, 15 years older than it was when I first started consuming it and didn't enjoy it as much and i think that um i think that as it's grown its content has grown and it's become more enjoyable for someone like me as opposed to someone just like my brothers who are always huge fans of it but anyway support and i builds this big company he sells it once to churn off and then he sells it twice to pen and the deal with pen is like some money now and some money three years ago or three years later. And that three years later was like six months ago or less. And uh, the sale finished. It completed. Dave made like $500 million on the sale. Uh, and then yesterday, Penn gave him back the company essentially for nothing. And yes, he gets to keep the $500 million. I mean, one of the great, great moves of all time. What's Yahoo Finance has more details. ESPN and Penn Entertainment announced a blockbuster deal on Tuesday. That will see ESPN operate branded sports books as the so-called world leader, worldwide leader in sports makes its biggest push yet into gambling. As part of the deal, the companies will launch a branded sports book, ESPN Bet, this fall in the 16 states where Penn currently operates mobile sports books. Now, this was part of the problem, I guess, with Penn's partnership with Barstool. They weren't getting the licenses in as many states as they thought because the regulators in the states had a problem with Barstool and had a problem with Portnoy and some of the things that have come out about the company that, and I tend to agree with Dave, he, he says have been hit pieces and uh, things that have looked at the company unfairly, whatever the case, content they've had in the past, it became a problem with regulators. Um, and they had been like a distant seventh. I think in Illinois, there's seven registered uh, sports books and they are like, they were dead, dead last at seventh. Uh, let's go into more about the deal here. It says that, ESPN, Penn will pay ESPN $1.5 billion over the next 10 years while granting ESPN warrants to purchase 31.8 million shares of Penn worth $500 million, which will vest over the same period. Uh, this is the CEO of Penn. He says, with ESPN, you're talking about a brand that everyone in the world knows about. 
It's not an old brand, it's not a young brand, and it's an everything brand. There's a lot of affinity for that brand, and we think that's going to be extremely complementary to what we've built over the course of the last three years. The Penn stock rose roughly 14% Wednesday morning following the news and the company's second quarterly earnings release. By the way, guess who owns a lot of Penn stock? Dave Portnoy. So he was probably pretty happy to see a 14% raise in the stock the day they gave him his company back for free. Uh, Penn reported second quarter revenue of $1.67 billion in line with Wall Street expectations, while its 0.48 adjusted earnings per share came in higher than estimates of 0.45. They're going to do an earnings call today. Meanwhile, Disney is reported to schedule their earnings on Wednesday, later in the day. Uh, Also part of the announcement, Penn said it sold Barstool back to its founder, Dave Portnoy. Penn initially purchased a 36% stake in Barstool for $163 million in 2019, and earlier this year, the company purchased the balance of it for an additional $388. So you add $388 million and $163 million together, you get something over $500 million, and that's what Portnoy and Big Cat and Erica and KFC and whoever else had equity got from this company, which Dave now got back for free. This is how they say uh, in the press release, Penn says they the deal went he says also has uh that he they say um that penn said in a press release that they also have the right to receive 50 percent of the gross proceeds received by portnoy in any subsequent sale or other monetization event of barstool to which dave had said i'm never selling it again and we found out through this press release why he probably said that um, there's some other language in there, I believe, which says that they have a, a non-compete. We don't know what the the parameters for that non-compete are. Probably things like limiting the kind of gambling ads and things that Barstool will have to get from places like DraftKings and things like that, which was a big sponsor for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they maneuver there. Although I'm sure it doesn't mean they couldn't get advertising from ESPN Bet if ESPN Bet wanted to do that. Um, in a press release, ESPN said that ESPN Bet will become the network's exclusive sports book. Penn Entertainment will receive odds attribute attribute. They will receive promotional services inclusive of digital product integrations, traditional media, and content integrations, and ESPN talent across all of the services to generate the maximum awareness. So basically, ESPN is going all in with ESPN Bet here. When you watch SportsCenter, you're going to see more gambling odds. We are far from the days of when Chris Berman would go on TV and give his picks of the week and the score would be like 31 to 34 to 19 uh, because he was sort of wink, wink, giving you the spread and saying that he thought that the team would cover, right? If the spread was 11, he'd always predict a 12-point victory if he thought there was a cover and you'd end up with these weird scores. Gone are those days, right? They're all in gambling and gambling and ESPN bet. All these things are going to be a huge part of ESPN now. The app will be ESPN branded, so they'll have their full brand before behind it. Um, it's fully integrated. It includes access and endorsement from top ESPN talent. And I think it's really importantly is that it is a strategic relationship. So I'm sure with ESPN behind them, instead of Barstool, you'll see more licenses from more states across the country, right? Uh, 
Disney owns ESPN. Disney's one of the classic American companies. I would think the regulators would have less of a problem with ESPN than they did with bar schools. So I see this as a win for Penn. I see it as a win for ESPN, which now we see why maybe that Pat McAfee deal was so big and why that was made. That seems to make a lot of sense to me. And then I think it's a huge win for Barstool and Portnoy and Barstool fans who have said that since Barstool became taken over by Penn, it had become corporate and not the same. It wasn't their Barstool. It was a new Barstool that they didn't like. There's a very famous employee, Mincy, who had to be fired for a mistake he made on the air because uh, the people at Penn just couldn't, couldn't stand the heat and they were worried about their licenses. That's gone, right? Now, this... We'll see how Barstool changes. Many people at Barstool have spent the last three years shouting that nothing changed when they were taken over by Penn. And now those same people yesterday will say, well, we're going back. So we'll see what that means exactly. Um, but holy hell, Dave Portnoy. Right? I mean, holy hell. You sold your company for $500 bucks, became a hugely rich individual, and they give it back to you for nothing. Damn. Damn, here's a quote from Bart uh, from Portnoy. We did this deal about three years ago, and I think both parties were like, we're going to take this thing to the moon. And I think we underestimated how tough it was for myself and Barstool to operate in a regulated world where gambling operators, the New York Times, and business insider hit pieces are effing with the stock price. Every time we did something, it was one step forward and two steps back. We got denied licenses because of me, you name it. So the regulated industry probably is not the best place for barstool sports and the type of content we make. Fair enough. Makes sense to me. Win, win, win. And we got to get someone who's smarter than me in here to talk about this next time. I'm going to reach out to Marshawn or James Orand or someone that knows sports business a little bit better than me. And we'll talk all about this next time, I promise. All right, with that said, let's jump into it. Uh, let's take a break. We're going to be right back uh, with the main man talking fantasy football at ESPN. And by the way, like it's August 9th. It is fantasy football draft season, and this dude is making himself available for almost 40 minutes to me. What a guy. Can't wait for you to hear it. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Field Yates. Sportscasters, 24-inch podcast listeners, your favorite podcast host, Steve Bennett, has a new show. It's 3x5 with Steve Bennett. New episodes every Tuesday, and this time it's on YouTube. Search North-South Connection on YouTube for the show. Each week, three lists of five each episode. Like, comment, subscribe. It's 3x5 with Steve Bennett. What's up, Field? How you doing today, man? 
I am doing great. How about you? You know, I just watched the Alvin Kamara and Trevor Penning pressers, and it's got the blood flow in that certain way that only football being right around the corner can produce, you know? I hear you. It's a, a special time of the year. You know, when we're having this chat, we're just uh, a day removed from the very first preseason game yep. of the year. And, you know, there are people that will say, well, it's just a Hall of Fame game. Everybody on the field is people that you've never heard of. Does it really matter that much? I mean, it's not the Super Bowl, but I'll tell you, after six months of not watching the NFL, it was nice to have a little bit of football on our TV again last night. Yeah, you got to watch that first quarter, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like you just gotta, because it's just you know it's 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 even though it's not back, it's back a little bit, you know. And I mean, Kamara hadn't talked in a long time um, because of everything he had dealt with, and I guess he had went to seek it out yesterday. So it's an opportunity, I guess, in his mind to sort of reset and get going again. He was great as he always is, you know. I know you know his personality, how great he can be. And Penning is a guy as a Saints fan. We've been waiting to see, you know. Is this a guy that we can count on? And, you know, just listening to him talking to me, first of all, I would not want to cross him. You know what I mean? He is no. a very old school, big dude. I think, the, I think uh, you know, Nick and Kat and all the great people on the scene Pete were kind of bait, trying to bait him a little bit. They're like, you're getting ready to mix it up. You know, we're waiting. And it's just like this look in his eye like he, he wants to say, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to rip someone's head off. Um, you just he, that, yeah. uh, I think he had a well-earned reputation during the pre-draft process. Which yes. We didn't get to see as much last year, obviously, because of the toe injury. Uh, but you know, a guy who, as you said, you would not want to cross. Uh, a short temper, for sure. A guy who found a way to... You know what? Let me rephrase this. He is the example of the player that when he's on your team, you, you like love him. him. Yep. <laughs> when he's on the opposing team... You hate the guy. Yeah. That, to me, is Trevor Penning amongst NFL left tackles. The only thing I would say to Mickey Loomis, if I, if I had a chance, well, one thing I'd say to him is, you really robbed us of the opportunity of having a C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Trevor Penning training camp with that trade last Ooh, year. You know what I mean? That's like, a good point. <laughs> C.J. would have found a way to get underneath Trevor's skin. Yeah. Uh, maybe literally. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> I, I know I've, all Saints fans, when Penning was coming in, it's like, oh, no. You know, see <laughs> him and CJ. We have to keep them apart, but yep, uh, fate stepped in. Anyway, let's. We mentioned AK, so let's just talk about him real quick because he went and um, and seen the commissioner, and uh, we'll see what happens with that, right? I mean, it could be two, could be six. I don't know, somewhere in that range, I would think. We'll see what happens. I think the fact that he got in the room with Goodell, I think that's good for him because I do find him to be charming and charismatic and. I, I, it does seem to me, although he's my guy, so I, I guess I'm more pre, predisposed to feeling this way. He does seem, you know, remorseful and 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 ashamed and ready to do better and move on. So we'll see what happens there. But there's been a perception of him as a fantasy guy, I think. Um, and it's certainly since Breeze has left, his catches have gone down. You know, it seemed like the one issue I had with Jameis is just it seemed odd to me as you're trying to adjust. To being the guy and being in the in the mix again, why you wouldn't lean on a guy like Alvin, those easy catches, but just didn't seem to be in his DNA as a quarterback. And we didn't see enough of him, and there's been a lot of changeover in that position. But going into this year, I've been a little surprised, I guess, with how down people seem to be on Alvin because I think he could have a, a big year this year. Now, again, that's something I'm willing to the universe anyway. Um, uh, as a guy who's been a Saints fan since 1987. 
Um, and, you know, if I ranked all those guys, Alvin would probably be pretty close to the top 10 or 15% of guys I've liked over the years, despite kind of being a laundry guy, someone who kind of roots for the laundry above all else. But uh, what do you think about him this year? And where do you feel in terms of fantasy and, and kind of what he has left in the tank, which is always kind of what we're trying to gauge with running backs at the point Alvin's in, right? Like what, what's left here? Yeah. The drop-off happens fast with guys like Alexander, you know, whoever you want to name, it could happen very fast. It often does. Yeah. And uh, so let's start here. Um, I think we'll get clarity on Alvin's potential suspension sooner than later. Agreed. Um, once we get that clarity, then all of a sudden we can have the conversation with a bit more, I would say, um, like a reasonable expectation surrounding what he'll be this year in fantasy football. And uh, it's not as simple as just kind of like prorating his production. And let's, I'm just going to make this up. We find out he's suspended for four games. We take away four from 17. That gets us to 13. And then you just multiply his projected points per game. Where does he end up? We right. saw this with DeAndre Hopkins last year was that, you know, he was going to miss six games. The Cardinals bye week was early last year. So it ended up being seven full weeks that you were not going to have DeAndre Hopkins available. If you felt like you could ride that wave, you could get a top 15 wide receiver but you wouldn't get that player until week eight, and he's burning a roster spot until now. So right. I've kind of split the atom with with Alvin Kamara until we have that clarity, which I anticipate soon on his future. So I've had him as right around running back 20 in my ranking. That's behind the likes of guys like Brees Hall and right ahead of the likes of guys like Miles Sanders. Because if I knew that Alvin was going to play 17 games, I'd probably have him closer to like RB10 or 12. Uh, I think that he's going to be much more like the player he was earlier in his career. I'm not trying to totally diminish the merits of Jameis Winston and also Andy Dalton, who have been sufficient starters, uh, especially Dalton at certain points of his career for teams that won a ton of games. Right. I do think, though, that uh, Derek Carr is, is a decided upgrade on both of those players for this upcoming season. Um, and I think that the Saints probably recognize that while Chris Olave is the best receiver that I, they've had since Michael Thomas was still playing at an elite level. Um, there's only so much that you can ask out of one player, and that Alvin Kamara is probably their second or third most reliable pass catcher uh, at this juncture of his career. So I think Kamara has a bit of a bounce back season. You know, utilization is a tricky one to uh, to size up for running backs because carries should be there. Targets is a much more difficult thing to forecast. They got away from that in recent years. Perhaps it was because of the quarterback change. Perhaps it was because of just wanting to try different things. I think this year it looks more like it did when Drew Brees was the quarterback, and that includes some very concerted efforts on Alvin Kamara or to get Alvin Kamara the ball in the passing game. I think all that's really fair. Uh, let's back way up because I don't I don't want to make this a thing where I'm like, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about the you can go. You can listen to Field. He does a podcast every day, and it's great. There, all that is there. So I want to get a little bit deeper than that, a little bit more big picture. Now I've been playing for a long time fantasy football. Like I think my first, I know my very first draft pick was Emmett Smith when he sat out the first two games. I love it. And so I remember good. just being in panic mode. <laughs> like, what did I yeah. do? Because I, I was playing with older people, and I just thought I totally screwed up because I, I picked him like you know, I think second. Like it was a very high yep. pick. And I just thought I totally screwed up, you know. Um, so I, I go back far. And I, I do remember, say, the first 10 years, always feeling like walking into the draft, I had a big advantage. 
you know, I look around the room and I would see people older than me with magazines that were written in April, you know, and um, a different level of commitment to the to the game itself, you know. And but I feel like since that point, that gap is really, really narrowed. Um, and it's a lot harder to find an edge because the information maybe that I leaned on to gain that edge is more accessible now. You know, yeah. it's a billion dollar industry just in terms of bringing information to the people. Right. And I don't know that when I first started. That information was as accessible as it is now. And I think that's been the biggest thing that's sort of changed since I've been playing. But I'm curious for you, what do you think in terms of impact? And, and as long as you've been playing, how the game has changed, maybe for the good and for the better, just sort of in general um, as a player and, and your experience uh, now as an analyst slash player in, in the business, how things have sort of evolved and changed since you started, maybe for good or even but for I worse. Found, yeah, I found what you said to be very relatable. Um, I, I don't want to say that there is a misnomer in calling myself a fantasy expert. Um, but what I always tell people is that the truth is that it's th there are certain things that I believe um, I am privy to and know from my work as sort of like an NFL reporter, you know, and talking to sources that I don't think the average person could uh, just find on his or her own without significant effort. But there's also a lot to my job, which is not stuff that's proprietary, right? Uh, I use my brother as an example. My older brother has two kids. They've got a very full schedule all the way during the week. Both he and his wife work full-time jobs. His kids have a million activities going on. And I, I use this example because he doesn't have time Monday through Friday to comb through Adam Schefter's Twitter feed or find out whether or not uh, Chris Olave was a limited or full-time participant um, on Thursday's practice sure. or whatever yep. the situation might be, the right? Minutia, or what almost. the weather looks yeah. like in Seattle for Sunday, or, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't know whether or not sauce Gardner is going to be available for the jets. Right. I tell people that my, my job is almost in some ways, like I grab a bunch of information from various different resources. And I take that information and I try to present it to you in this tiny little package that you can, digest very simply right sure. so i tell you i've got chris olave as my wide receiver nine for the week that factors in chris olave's talent the saints offense the opponent the weather uh, you know the injury yep. report the yep. weather right mm -hmm. and so i would say that's how i think the industry has changed most dramatically over the past decade or so is that there is so much competition now and that's a wonderful thing right yeah. i do believe that like the sandbox is huge. There's lots of room for everybody to go out there and succeed. I think what the challenge is, is that as you see the numbers going up and up and up, is navigating this line where just because there are a lot of people now doing the same thing that you are, is you don't want to go out on a limb and say things that you don't actually believe, right? Right. But yep. um, uh, yep. I know exactly how do you say saying. the same things? Yeah, so like yeah. – you know, I, 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 how can I, like, I, I firmly and strongly believe in Chris Olave this year. I'll keep using him as an example. I've talked about him as one of my, sure. uh, I do this thing called Fields Favorites, and I think he might be the captain of my Fields Favorites I this love year. It. Guys that I like as much or as, or maybe more than most, right? And if, if I, for this, but like, that's, that's, most people like Chris Olave this year. I might like him more than the average, but like, sure. if you wanted to get some, some sticker shock, you'd say, 
I think Chris Olave is a bum and he's overrated. And I think that he's going to be the fourth best wide receiver on the Saints. This right. Rashid which Shaheed is, completely, is going to outplay him. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah. It's a completely asinine take, right? right? But in an industry that at times, and I'm not talking about just fantasy football, but the media at times encourages uh, that kind of behavior because we have seen people who have bombastic takes Clickbait, make right? their way, yeah. right? That happens. Yeah. People just, you know, they say dumb stuff and they get on the internet and they get the attention they want. You have to challenge yourself to, um, to to really say things that you believe, and not get, uh, not look for attention simply for the sake of attention. So that that would be my answer, and that's a super long winded way of talking oh, about how the industry has changed. Is to yeah. remain disciplined uh, despite the fact that there are some pressures that might suggest to you that um, you know being a little bit uh, bold, bombastic, whatever you want to say. Um, could have its advantages. I, I like to be bold when I believe it, right. and, but I'm not going to, you know, again, I'm not going to, not going to drop Justin Jefferson to wide receiver 20 just for the sake of some clicks. And I think there's a, the, there's a part of the people want to know you're authentic and they can sniff out really quickly when you're not, you know what I mean? I think people, totally. yeah, yeah, you might get that click the first time, you know, if you make a claim like that, but people are going to be on by the third paragraph of that expert. This guy's just being a clickbait idiot here. This is he doesn't believe this. You know, people will sniff that out so fast, I feel like. You know. Yeah, and you know, you kind of you end up earning a uh, you know, a reputation, I think. And my hope is that people that have listened to our show for a long time tend to find both me and and everybody in the show for that matter. Everybody on our show, I think tends to be like logical and reasonable. Um and I think that that's you know, there are uh, reasons why the crazy takes are encouraged, but I also think that um in a world in which crazy takes do generate, you know, their clicks and retweets or likes or reposts or whatever we're calling it now. Um, I always believe there's room for like good, solid analysis, right? Like there are certain people that have been doing things for a long time and it's like, all you want is just more of what they've been doing for a long time. Not something different than what you have grown accustomed to. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about playing um, because I think one thing that's changed the most for me is when I started, it felt like everybody played the same way, you know, for the most part. Maybe a wrinkle here and there. You know, I remember my dad and his friends were all, they still play a touchdown-only league that's existed, hey. like, before I even, right, before I even played. So, like, and they, they're sticking with that touchdown-only league till death, I guess. But now it feels like, okay, some people play Dynasty. You know, some people play Guillotine, which is super, you know, popular now. Some people are still doing the classic redraft. Then you got the keeper type of leagues. You know, you got the salary cap stuff. You know, maybe your daily player. You just kind of focus on that. Um, it seems like the way to play has expanded so much. The variants have expanded so much. Do you get a sense for what, of all the ways we play, do you get a sense of one way sort of storming to the top and, and, and kind of re redefining what we will view as a standard league or do you think kind of the idea of standard league that we all have in our heads when i just say that phrase will still be will still mean what it does today what do you think about the the evolution of sort of the way we play fantasy yeah it's funny so i'll, I'll use the numbers in this case good uh, when you when we say standard Yep. At ESPN. Now we are referring to a points per reception. PPR, like PPR yep. league. Yep. One QB. Uh, that's what, one QB, is, so, too. Yep. 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 One quarterback. Yep. So if you were to go on to ESPN, sign up on ESPN.com slash fantasy and join the league. 
it would automatically default to one quarterback and PPR uh, score. Right. That being said, um, the number of different ways that you can play fantasy seems to be growing by the year. All right, but I go back to, you know, I, I said I would use the numbers here. And, like, a bar of maybe, let's call them, I think it was 11 million or so people that played on unique unique users last year. A lot of people with multiple leagues. Of the 11 million, something like 10 million of them were consumers of that standard okay. yep. PPR league. Yep. Usually somewhere between 8 and 10 teams, right? Now, that means that there are a million other people that are interested in other things. That includes... Larger leagues, that includes non-PPR, that includes Superflex, that includes Dynasty Leagues. Um, so I think that um, fantasy football in some ways reminds me of the NCAA tournament in this regard, that while there's been some, some things that have changed over the years, you know, we still we, now we have play-in games for the NCAA tournament and things like that, the crux of what makes fantasy football what it is has largely stayed the same over the years, Akin to how sixty-four teams win six play, well, games and you're the champ. Yep. Yeah, yep. Win six that's right. games and you're the champ. Uh, yep, that's it. So yep. I think that fantasy football will always, at its core, skew towards PPR scoring. Eight to twelve teams in a league. Um, I find other leagues extremely fun. You mentioned guillotine leagues. For yeah. those unfamiliar, you know, you've got basically what happens is, well, there are there are different ways to set these up, but the 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 Short uh, version is that everybody drafts a team at the beginning of the year, have as many teams in the league as you want. The lowest scoring team each week is eliminated. And then then the players players on that roster, yeah, they go into what we call, you know, it's, it's, it's a salary cap league. So you have a hundred dollars and let's just say the team who has Austin Eckler uh, loses, has the fewest points in week one, Austin Eckler becomes available. It's a blind bidding system so if you and i both want austin eckler but you give you you're willing to ante up 25 and i'm willing to ante up 35 he'll become a part of my team instead so really fun you keep going that way until there's there are a lot of different ways to do this but some people will do it until there's four teams left and then you you can turn it into a playoff bracket however you choose um but it's it's sort of a survivor type league so there are a lot of different ways to do it i do think that the nuts and bolts will kind of always be exactly where it has been for the past decade or so, which is like eight to 12 teams right down the middle. And uh, you live with however it goes. Um, sure. And, and that, that's just going to be how I think things will be. Interesting. Thanks for the numbers there. That's something obviously I wouldn't be able to access. One thing I will say is <laughs> I think even in your run at ESPN, we have seen a relatively significant shift in what it means to be a standard league. And that is that ESPN leagues are now PPR, right? They weren't, yeah. they haven't been standard for, ever hasn't been PPR. It's been a more recent change. I don't, I, I don't know exactly how long, I, but probably five years or less. Um, I think, and I, I'm curious what you think, I think the most likely change in the next five years to that format would be Superflex. I think okay. I've seen in the five years previous to now, I think we're just, we're just at an era where players want Patrick Mahomes' value to be more closely associated to his real life value. And I think when you're in a one QB league and you have so many talented quarterbacks like the league has now, right? Like you, you could say someone like Derek Carr, cause we've been using saints as examples. You can get him essentially for free or very late in a draft. Right. 
But if yeah. you're in a two QB or a super flex setting, his value is more like third or fourth round or whatever. And I feel like there's been a shift to that. And a lot of the leagues, if not all the leagues I'm in this year, are going to be some kind of super flex or two QB format. So my question to you is, is do you agree or disagree? And if you do disagree, is there something else you see as something that could shift what it means to be standard at ESPN in the same way PPR did? That's probably the most likely shift that I can think of. Um, like other formats that I see more and more of, or at least a little bit more of, is like, you know, yeah, here, like tight end premium. That to me still, still, still feels very niche. Right. Um, two quarterback leagues, probably the most likely. Two quarterback yeah. slash super flex. Um, or what you could see more of is an additional flex spot. Uh, I play in a 16-team league with ESPN NFL colleagues. We call it the war room, and we reference it frequently on our various programming, whether it's fantasy or NFL, and it's 16 teams, so it's already very deep. Like Just building a regular roster is tough with 16 teams. We expanded it to two flex spots recently, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, like, you know, you're starting like a Jaguars fifth receiver because yeah, there's bye week. Yeah, you're and you're just deep. like, yeah. wow, yeah. like I'm surprised this guy is even on a roster. Um, I would say the most challenging part of that, I mean, the league is tough. You got to, what, what, what's 100 divided by 16, like 6.66, right? So you've got a 6.66% chance to win the league in and of itself. But um, there are times where I'm doing my job, my, my fantasy analyst job, and people will be asking me like, all right, I'm trying to decide between Terry McLaurin and Tyler Lockett for my flex spot. And I'm like, Terry McLaurin and Tyler Lockett for your flex spot? I'm trying to choose between, you know, like, uh, you know, a guy who's got like three career catches. Like, I'm trying to choose between Dante Pettis and, like, you know, Tavon Austin right now, my flex spot for that 16 team. So you have to remind yourself that, like, just because that a problem or that dilemma applies to me, it applies to very few otherwise. Like, you know, most of what you hear in like eight to 12 team leagues um, is things closer to Tyler Lockett versus Terry McLaurin for your wide receiver two or flex spot. Right. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk about the podcast for a few minutes because, you know, I'm a podcaster. I've been doing this show since 2011. Um, and uh, I've been a listener of the Fantasy Focus podcast since way back to Nate Rabbits being the host, you know. You are uh, a loyalist. I yes. love it. Uh, I remember I remember when I first started listening to it, I would go to like ESPN.com and then I would have to like click on page <laughs> page two. And then there'd be like yeah. a little box there that I could click play on, you know, and that's how I listened to it with my web browser open, kind of just sitting at the computer hoping I have some homework or something to uh yeah. to kill the time I listen. So I've been a long time listener to the show and I've heard every, you know, every version of it since then, you know. Um, and obviously the biggest change last year was Matthew leaving and going on to NBC and doing his thing. And I'm just curious for you how you felt about how it went, you know, making that because that's a huge change for the show. You know, that would be like, you know, um, that would be like Jerry, Se- George Costanza leaving Seinfeld. And then the next season, what was it like? You know what I mean? Like, how do you think it went? Um, how do you think you will you'll, you guys will keep evolving? What do you think about the show in the, the post Matthew era? So first of all, like we owe a debt of gratitude to to Matthew for building yes. something extremely special, not just at ESPN, but fantasy football is not where it is without Matthew's sort of trailblazing uh, effort and approach. 
Um, I think that uh, like it was a massive adjustment just because it was the only thing that that show had ever known. And earlier I was talking to you about how sometimes the challenge is not that um, like you, you have to have different information. It's that you have the same information as somebody else. Um, so what's going to incentivize a, 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 a fantasy football listener right, to rep. go yep. and check you versus somebody else's podcast out, right? They, there are just so many options for them yep. to choose between that just because, you know, they've heard of you doesn't mean that uh, you're the only place in town. So I always gave Matthew a ton of credit. I continue to give him a ton of credit that it's like a lot of us agree that Justin Jefferson is the highest ranked receiver in fantasy this year. But I give Matthew a ton of credit for finding a way to bring an entertainment value to the statements that aren't necessarily out of the ordinary. Now, there's plenty of things that he has said that have been unique and uh, and not proprietary, but unique and, and, and sort of his own that he's also made very successful. Like his rider dies and, over the years or something like that. Rider dies, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but like – there's an innate part of the job that is just sort of doing the same thing as everybody else with your own twist on it. So um, I've really appreciated, uh, I really appreciate what he brought uh, to ESPN for over a decade. He played a big role in me uh, taking on more fantasy responsibility. Um, It was an adjustment. I think that we found throughout the year things that were uh, more comfortable for each and every one of us that are still around here at ESPN. And um, I think that, uh, Probably where where I am at right now mentally is, uh, and I, I, I was not here uh, at the beginning of last year, was trying to measure it or compare it to what it had been with Matthew. Um, instead, trying to focus in on how can it be great. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring this back to, to, to the Saints here, right? Is It's like somebody has to take over for Drew Brees. It's hard to compare to what Drew Brees did for that franchise and, um, you know, obviously uh, at some point you have to like try to turn the page and yep. it's not about like, how does this stack up to Drew Brees? It's what can a Derek Carr offense look like for this team? Are they good enough to win 12 games and make a deep playoff run? And that's kind of where I feel like my mentality is now is that like, it's hard and it's very human to want to just compare to how it was. And now I think we've realized that like we, we are, uh, we have a, a responsibility to the listeners, um, to do what seems to work best for us in the same way that Matthew does for his new audience uh, with the NBC crowd is that it's not trying to just do exactly what he did at ESPN. It's taking the things that worked. It's reassessing on things that maybe didn't work that much. um, And then bringing some new stuff too with new co-hosts and and a new sort of uh, spin on fantasy football talk. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like I think about Derek Carr and I think to myself, you know, he's never going to be able to be a free agent signed by the saints in 2006. You know what I mean? Like no one will ever be, no one will ever be able to do what drew did. Just like you'll never be able to be the guy that grew the game kind of the way that Matthew did. You know what I mean? But I was thinking like, if Derek Carr can just be the second best free agent we ever had, that could still mean even two super bowls. You know what I mean? That could still mean great, great things. Maybe even some things that drew didn't accomplish. You know, so I, I think I know exactly what you mean. I guess it's maybe a weird way to say it, but let me ask you. I'm running out of time, so let me ask you another quick one about the podcast, and then I'll give you two sure. quick ones, and I'll let you go. Um, one thing I, I've noticed as a listener that's changed 
over the years on the podcast. And to me, it started around the pivot to video. And as video got more important, I think, to the podcast, that some of the fun stuff, some of the non-fantasy stuff that made the show unique and fun sort of started to drop off a little bit. And I I guess I understand why. I I can understand the strategy of, like, we got to kind of narrow in. We need to be more fantasy-focused. We need to create content that we can chop up, you know, into smaller clips here and there because that's such an unbelievable, undeniable way to grow things. So I get it. But I just wonder, as someone who's kind of been there, as that stuff has sort of faded off and been less important, maybe even to the point that it doesn't exist at all probably anymore, um, do you think that's been a net positive, a net negative? Has it been mid? Is it something you hear from people about? Because just as someone who's listened the whole time, it's something that stands out to me like, oh, that part of it, and I did like that part, that part's gone, you know, um, essentially. You know what? I'm glad to say that. Um because it's good feedback, right? So um, I, I will I will admit that uh, in recent years, um, not just video, but specifically like short form video, right? The kind of video yep. that if you opened up the ESPN app, you could get sixty seconds. Um, why Keenan Allen is a must start this week? But in the course of a of a of a, of a podcast, unless you really put effort into like transitions and starting and ending a conversation. It's hard to have like 60 or 90 uninterrupted seconds on one topic that you get like a really clear cogent conversation or, or even just one person's thoughts on it. So um, I do think, I hope that this will be reflected in, uh, in, in, in the first week and hopefully going forward is that like allowing us to have some of that fun. Yeah. Um, but also not be beholden to right, – we need to make sure that, like, hey, if, if, if Dalvin Cook signs with the Jets, we need to have, like, 90 straight seconds on it somewhere. Like, we, we will fill that need in a different manner. Post-show tapings, uh, we'll face we'll, – you know, Twitter or, or, or Instagram videos or TikToks or whatever. Um, so um, you and I are due for uh, a check-in, it sounds like, in a few months. And you can <laughs> yeah. push back. Yeah, uh, or you can maybe you can circle back with thoughts on like, all right, hey, I'm I'm hearing more of this. I'm hearing less of that. I'm hearing just the right amount of that. And uh, hopefully that, um, hopefully some of what you talked about, the spirit of like the fun, yeah. um, understanding that like there's a ton of football to cover, and we only Very have true. an hour Very a day true. to do so. Yep, it, it's a uh, yeah. I hope, but, but there's always it's always worth having a blend. And if we chop a few topics off on the football side, I tell people often that um, there is almost always going to be a way for you to get the answer that you're looking for if we didn't address the question during the podcast right, right? yep yeah you know you, you twitter feeds example fantasy yep. football now like there are a lot of ways sure. for you to uh to get to our stuff um even if we don't address something very directly and specific on the podcast i'm not trying to take take us off the hook i just um that's something well, that I have to remind myself. Yeah, and you have I, to remind yourself. I hope you don't think that I was trying to like come at you or tell you how to do the show or being critical. I was just making an oh, observation of feedback. Yeah, what I've noticed as a listener over the years, like, sure. hey, I remember that part of it. It just doesn't seem to be important. And I was sort of targeting video as 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 my in my head is like I think that's kind of why or that's about when. Um, but the sportscaster here finishing up with Field Yates. Uh, he's the man at ESPN Fantasy. He does it unbelievably well i appreciate his time looking to get a fantasy football guy on the phone for a half hour in august that's someone who's being very generous 
especially to just a jabroni like me in Buffalo. No. Uh, real quickly, uh, I will like give you just a couple real quick ones. One, can you rate for me the three rookie quarterbacks, the, the most important three real quickly in a redraft? I'm getting into redraft mode. How do you think those three kind of come off the board? You can just do it real quick. Anthony Richardson, yep. clear cut number one. Bryce Young, number two. CJ Stroud, number three. I would say in the case of all three of them, I'm sorry, in the, of the of the last two, yeah. like Young and Stroud strike me as bi-week fill-ins only right now. Okay. Richardson is the most compelling wild card of fantasy football this year. Sure. Uh, if, you, if he starts 17 games and he gets 120 carries, history suggests that'll be enough for him to likely be like even a like a top 15 or so quarterback. But there have been a couple outliers. And the question is, is a guy as raw as Richardson more likely to be the outlier? Um, Is he more likely to be, you know, Marcus Mariota last year, where despite the really good rushing production, just the passing was way too inconsistent to to crack your lineup? Or is he going to be, you know, Justin Fields or one of these guys you've seen recently where it doesn't matter what the passing upside is? Right. The running is so darn good. The so floor spectacular. is extremely yep. high. Yep. Because the, the thing about Fields, too, if you're comparing to him, it's like he runs just as good as I've seen good running quarterbacks, but he also has, like, the ability to just score from anywhere. These 60, 70, 80 hours. He's doing them every, every week. You know, it's, it's insane. hundred percent. All yeah, right. I mean, these are the best athletes on the field in, in many cases. All right, very last two things. One, give me three guys you seem to be drafting a lot and three guys you seem to be avoiding a lot, and then just I want you to lay out all the plugs so that the ESPN PR people still like me. Okay, okay. here we go. Okay. Um, of course they would never. They would never <laughs> not like you. Um, three guys that I am drafting, I find myself drafting. I'll give you three receivers. Okay. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jordan Addison, uh, two Ohio State guys and the Pitt slash USC guy. Got it. Uh, Wilson obviously going very early, uh, Olave not too far behind that, and then Addison, my favorite lottery ticket because uh, there are a lot of lottery tickets. Yeah, uh, three guys that I'm having the hardest time uh, warming up to this year. Do, 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 do. This is always like a little trick here because I don't want to uh, offend a player because right, I still course. have some exposure to them. Yep. Um, but guys, I'm, I'm just trying to get my uh, my running back rankings open right now. Uh, da, 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 da. Players that I'm having a harder time uh, gravitating just, towards so just far. Just their season. value has sort of for you just yeah out, yeah yeah yeah. It's not a negative on them. Totally. Just, yeah. Uh, Mike Evans is one for sure. Okay. Not knowing exactly what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Um, I would say the uh, the Commanders backfields one that Brian Robinson I think goes sooner. Then Antonio Gibson. I worry about that offensive line this year. That would be one. And then two, 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 two. Um, That's good enough. That's good enough. You're good. I have like well, no, I'll, <laughs> I have like an aversion, and I'm not trying to skirt the question here. Um, I have an aversion, just sort of in general, to like a Mike Williams type player where the profile has been so consistently like, hey, like. I just, you know, I, I don't like the up and down, right? right. Like we all have that I guy just, too. We all have yeah, that guy. I, yeah. like, I, I kind of know what the wave looks like and I'd rather not ride that wave so consistently. Like I dra- I was, I had number one, two years in a row and drafted CMC the two years. It just didn't work out because of his health or whatever. Go and, figure, right? And I just feel like I can't draft him again because I feel like I don't want to do that to him. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I f- I, for some reason I feel like it's my fault. 
You know, yeah, uh, totally. you know. So everyone has, I think, that guy. All right, please lay out all the plugs for me. Everything you want people to consume, where to go, where to hear, uh, quickly because usually they give me a sheet and I'll read it, but they didn't, and I just I don't want to leave everything anything off. So okay, right. so most important thing I can say right now is. Uh, if people want to go check out the ESPN NFL YouTube page, because while you are correct, and that there is still um, there should still be the the feel of a podcast on our show, and we're, I'm going to be intentional with making sure that we have fun, that we have that feel. Um, the YouTube page on ESPN NFL, ESPN NFL YouTube page is where you can find all of our shows right now. So if you're inclined to subscribe to the ESPN NFL YouTube page, you'll find a lot of our content there. And uh, hopefully we have a lot of fun. Keep it very light uh, while giving you some information as well, because that to me seems like a reasonable goal uh, for a podcast about fantasy football. Enough information that you're getting your lineup set appropriately, but some fun along the way. Yeah, the podcast is daily at this point, right? We're back to daily. Yep. Yes, sir. Podcast is daily yep. wherever you listen to podcasts. And, of course, the draft kit, which is always great. You go to ESPN.com, click fantasy. You can find that, too. Yep. All right. I think we did it, Phil. There it is. Unless you have any questions for it. me. We're in a good spot. I All appreciate right. you. All right. I appreciate you. I mean, I look at – I've already kept it too long. But a guy in August from fantasy to come and do this, it, it, you know, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, my uh, my honor, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. And I don't think we'll be checking it at some point for some <laughs> feedback on the podcast as well. All right, thanks, Field. All righty. I was a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high All right, I want to thank Field Yates for being on the show. That was awesome. And what a dude Field Yates is. Texting me at 7 in the morning today to make sure that he didn't miss the link because he wants to retweet it and help me out. What a dude. Thanks, Field. That was awesome. Hope you enjoyed it. Email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought of that one. All right. Book club. Let's update it. We got four books rolling, and um, there's a couple important ones, and one very important one because it's part of the family. So we'll get to that one last. First. Why We Love Baseball, A History in 50 Moments by Joe Piznanski, the sequel to the Baseball 100. Um, Joe Piznanski's a guy who's been with this podcast since the beginning. His books have been featured in the book club for years. His book, Paterno, was one of the first like sagas of the sportscasters as we kind of followed Joe through that whole process. That book was announced, and Joe had just moved in to State College, his apartment there, to do that book when all of the the news broke about uh, Sandusky and everything that had happened with Penn State. And uh, Joe came on this show time and time again during that process to talk about how the book changed, how it stayed the same, how he felt about the book. And then, of course, when it came out, he was on to discuss it like he will. Why We Love Baseball, A History in 50 Moments uh, by Joe Piznanski. Can't wait to have him on. This book is pre-order. Um, it comes out September 5th. 
I'll interview him on August 17th, and then I'll find out from the from the publisher if they're going to want that released then or if they're going to want me to hold it. I'm not exactly sure. Probably will come out right around the 17th when we interview Joe on that one. Uh, another one that's in pre-order that I'm looking forward to, Kingdom Quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how a once swing in Cowtown chased the ultimate comeback. Uh, this is by Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd, who will both be first-timers on the show, and hopefully we'll interview them together because everyone knows I love interviewing pairs. Uh, and I'm excited about this book, which apparently tells the dual story of Mahomes and of the Chiefs in Kansas City and Arrowhead and all those things. And as soon as I finish um, Poznanski's book, I'm going to get through uh, this book and we'll talk to the authors uh, close to the release date of that book. Actually, I might even have a a date for that already. I think it's you know mid to mid to late August as well on that one. Uh, that book, Kingdom Kingdom Quarterback, comes out on August twenty second. So that's in pre order as well. Uh, the third book, one that's not in pre order, that I almost wrote off last week, and still we might have to write it off, but we'll see. It's called Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek, How 17 Shows Transform Television by Tia Glassman. And the story of this one, as I sort of told you last week, was uh, I, I reached out about this book because I thought it might be interesting, something different and fun to do for the summer. Uh, they wrote back and they said that uh, Tia was busy for July, but she'd absolutely do the, the interview in August and that uh, they'd send me a book and I got a chance to read it. And then when I followed up at the end of July, I never heard back. So I kind of thought, all right, this is probably not going to happen. Uh, but I wrote back again, one last chance, and they responded and said that they're going to schedule something. So we'll see if that happens. Um, if it does, we'll have Tia on. If not, that will just sort of fade away. And the last one, the most important one, because this guy's family, Adam Lazarus, his book is The Wingmen, The Unlikely, Unusual, Unbreakable Friendship Between John Glenn and Ted Williams. Uh, and this book... Um, is pre-order as well. August 22nd is the release date, same as the Chiefs book. Uh, we had Adam on the last episode of the show to sort of lay it all out, give the sales pitch, why should he buy it, and he'll be back in the beginning of September. We'll talk NFL, we'll talk Winmeg, and we'll have a Pittsburgh draft. So right, we're going to draft Pittsburgh Steelers uh, with him, sort of like we did the Canadian draft um, with... Um, Dan Robeson from The Athletic. So those are the books. Joe Piznanski, his book, uh, Why We Love Baseball, Kingdom Quarterback, Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek, and, of course, The Wingman, the unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams by Adam Lazarus, our friend, available on 8-22-2023. Pre-order now, please, uh, for Adam. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk to Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Our next guest today is a graduate of Brown University. He lives in Auburn, Massachusetts, and it describes himself as an NFL media free agent. He comes on the podcast every year at this time to promote his pro football almanac, the best in the business. 
a warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend Aaron Schatz. Hey, Aaron, what's up, buddy? Hey there. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's an annual tradition. It is, and you know when you've had that the the off season that you've had, and I can still count on you to send a book and to to be here. That's it means we've we've, we've created something nice, and you're, you're a good dude. So thank you. Yeah, it's been a weird couple months for me. <laughs> I've noticed. I've noticed. But you you know, and I'm sure you were looking, and, and it's not just me, everyone. We're all Team Aaron, right? I mean, I don't think there's anyone who's like... Yeah, team. everybody's basically team writers. I mean, you yeah. know, when, yep. when, when the writers from Football Outsiders came out and said they hadn't been paid, people were very supportive of the writers. And then uh, when I was had to leave uh people have been very supportive of me i'll i mean i'll tell you if you ever want to improve your mood about yourself and your self-confidence uh quit your job publicly because it was like reading my own obituaries like now i know what they'll say about me when i'm gone and it it was really it was really heartwarming and um bittersweet but uh yeah for people who don't know i have left football outsiders uh the company that i created myself 20 years ago and uh, I do not know yet where my permanent home will be. There are a couple of possibilities, and I'm getting offers and probably deciding within the next week. But there will be somewhere where DVOA will be living next year, and other things that I do will be living somewhere. Good. I'm not going to pry too much beyond that. We'll get on to football. But let me just ask you this because I'm curious. Was there ever a point where you were worried that – the almanac might not exist this year. Did it ever? Get oh, to- absolutely! Yeah. It was not going to exist. Okay. Oh, wow. No, if yeah. it was not, if it was not for the support of FTN, this almanac would not exist. I had written it off, and FTN was like, "Look, you know, um, you you can decide later whether you're going to come with us full time, but you don't want to skip a year in the almanac because people will get used to not buying it and then they won't buy it in the future. You want people who buy it every year to be able to buy it every year. And they made me an offer where they would pay me to do it and they would pay my writers. And we hired all the, you know, all the writers back basically, except the college people. We didn't do college and rivers McCown couldn't do it because he has a new infant. So we used Tyler Lochner instead from the FTN staff, and we put it together. And if it was not for the support of Kevin Adams and FTN, it absolutely would not have happened. Well, let me give a public thank you to FTN then. Yeah. Props to those dudes, you know. And whether you, whether you stay there or not, they'll always have a place in the almanac lore, right? They, they save the day, I guess. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have some kind of relationship with them going forward, and uh, we'll see what, whether, uh, we'll see how, you know, what, what it is. All right. Fair enough. Let's move on. Let's talk ball. Um, I was reading the Almanac, as I do when you send it, and it's always such a treat. And I'd probably read it if you didn't send it because it is the best. It's the best. You know, when I was growing up, I'd buy the magazines. They write those things in April. You know what I mean? Like this right. is this is a different breed, obviously. And yeah. Well, the, f- the first four years that we did it, we wrote it in April. Right. right? When we yeah. came out with a regular when we came out with a regular publisher, we had to have the whole thing done by Memorial Day weekend. So the self-publishing that we started doing in 2009 allows us to write all the way up to the day we release it and then have it be really current. And look at that. The 2009. It's my favorite year of football ever right there. So, yeah. 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 Um, I noticed when I was reading through the first pages, because you always kind of write an introduction, what's changed, what hasn't changed. The thing that stuck out to me in that section was the inclusion of expected points. Um, And I bring it up because expected points, I think, is the poster child right now 
for sort of the polarizing advanced stat in all sports. Especially, is it really? Especially you think hockey, it's that polarizing? Especially hockey and soccer. Definitely hockey. Oh, like, well, yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's because for hockey and soccer, because they're goal scoring sports like that, you have to really do you do expected goals. Yeah. And it's a very complicated yes. thing. And, and, and the criticism is always the same, right? Expected by whom? You know, and, right, and, right. Pe- and people who are for the state get real mad about that, you know. And um, I kind of see it both ways um, because I, I, my understanding essentially with those goal scoring sports is that it's basically more just about where you are on the ice or the field than anything else. Yeah, I don't know else, if you know? those – yeah, I mean, you can do it more advanced if you have player tracking. You can do also where the defenders are. But my guess is that the like the simple expected goals models that you find on the internet do not – you know, they're yeah. not using player tracking to figure out where the – you know, are there defenders in the way and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's pretty much based on where you're uh, shooting on the ice. I but think. I, I don't know exactly. I'm not an expert on either hockey or soccer. Right. Fair enough. Here's what I want to know from you, though. Can you explain what it means in this context and how it has helped you with your projections? Yeah, I mean, there's really two different. We, we use it in various places. You know, uh, some of the people use it online. I mean, we use DVOA much, much more. But there's really two, it's two different ways to think about the game. But both of these ways to think about the game are drilled down on a play-by-play better, uh, play-by-play level and adjust for context. One way is to think of it in terms of what's your success on a play compared to average, right? That's DVOA. And the other is to think of a points model of like, you know, first and 10 on the 25 with this much time left in the quarter has two expected points and second and five on the 30 has this many expected points. And the difference between that is what the expected points added of that play is. So it's really just two different ways to look at um, moving the ball, but the, but they both have the same advantages really that to me, the disadvantage of EPA is no one quite knows what it means. Right. Like, uh, I mean, one advantage of DVOA, I mean, a lot of people don't know what it means either, but one advantage of it is, Higher than zero is good offense, and lower than zero is good defense. You know exactly what the average is. The average is zero. Right. Yep. Whereas for EPA, I don't know what I don't know what the average is. I don't know what the average is. So that's I think one of the downsides of EPA. Also, you know, there's there's bits and pieces in DVOA that are meant to be predictive that are not exact. You know, for example, in EPA, fumbles are based uh, are counted based on where they're recovered, whereas in DVOA, all fumbles count equally because we know that fumble recovery is random. So there are some differences like that that I think make DVOA a little bit more predictive. Right, because fumble recovery is it's just who's happened to be standing there when the ball hits, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, when you have an oblong ball, it bounces weird. Right. right. Weird things happen. Right. Yeah. If, if, the, if Cam Jordan comes around and swats the ball away, it's going to either bounce to the left or to the right or stay right there. Stays right there. He's probably going to get it. Bounces to the left. It might hit the left tackle in the ass, you know, and that's just, right. that's just how it goes. Um, what else? Perfect explanation there. What else in terms of changes are significant to you this year, if there are any? I mean, the biggest change is we've switched to using FTN data for our charting. Okay. And we've switched to FTN's fantasy projections. I mean, one thing we talked about was I did not have time to redo my entire fantasy projection system. 
And so we used FTN's fantasy projections, which are award-winning from Jeff Radcliffe. And those are the fantasy projections that you'll find in the book instead of my old system. So I guess the obvious follow-up question there is how is the FTN, not necessarily even the fantasy, but the FTN projections in general, how are they different than what you're using before? He does a simulation based on a player's past performance. He does simulates the season a certain number of times, you know, simulating each game and what each player right. can be expected to get in each game. So um, they're more like what Kubiak was the last couple of years when it was Scott Spratt's system than it is like my system from four or five years ago. My system from four or five years ago was much more like, you know, here's the team's offensive DVOA. Here's the player's stats from the last couple of years. Here's his role. Here's what we expect. Whereas this, these systems are more game by game. And therefore, for example, they sort of price in the possibility of injury. Okay. You know, I used to I used to basically project every player to play the whole season, and you knew that some players would be injured. And now we project the possibility of injury. Okay, interesting. Every, you... every player is projected with like 14 and a half games or something. Okay. I mean, uh, 15 and like 15 and a half games. So every player is projected equally? Like Mike Thomas isn't projected for more of an injury than, you know, say Chris Olave? No, I think there are differences. Oh, okay. I think there are differences. Like someone noticed that Lamar Jackson is projected – in the projections in the back of the book, um, Lamar Jackson is higher, uh, sorry, is lower than he is in the actual quarterback section. And that's because in the quarterback section, there are 17 game projections. And in the back of the book, in the appendix, they price an injury. And the odds of Lamar Jackson getting injured are listed as higher uh, than the odds of like Jalen Hurts getting injured. Okay, makes sense. Got it. Uh, now, when we talk to you about history, you always say like DVOA. I think last I checked, it was 84 you had gone back to at that point. 81 now. 81. 1981. Okay. Yeah. So we're okay. And does FTN's projection, does it work the same way where it goes backwards? Or is that more what you're using FTN for is strictly this season? Yeah, strictly this season. Okay. We're for, for fantasy projections for this season. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Anything else different or the same living in the FTN world? Which, by the way, I love FTN. It's like my favorite thing since the last fifteen minutes when I you told me about it. But uh, no, but that's that. Those are the main differences: the fantasy projections, the charting data being different, and um, and yeah, I mean, otherwise it's you know the and and no no college material. The fact that we right. didn't do college material this year, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the future with the college material. I don't know if we're going to bring it back, but this year we certainly did not have time to include that. And I've always looked at the college material as kind of a bonus anyway. I mean, I'm, I wonder yeah. I wonder what the percentages is. I think most people are in it for the NFL stuff, I think. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's most of our audience. Yeah. yeah. But a few people have asked about the college stuff. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I love college too, and I definitely always looked at, read the OU section or whatever, you know, but um, – Let's talk about the projections, because I think when you got about a half an hour or whatever I normally do, I think this is the best way to kind of attack it in a nice general sense. And I have a few more specific questions, too. Uh, but last year at this time, the Bills were number one. We just off the air discovered that the last DVOA preseason favorite to win a Super Bowl is 2007. But your yeah. own but your own predictions have been much better. Um, I, yeah, this yeah. is crazy. This is crazy. My own subjective prediction of the Super Bowl, I've gotten five of the last 10 teams right, including both teams in 2018. I picked Rams and Patriots. But the number one team in DVOA has not won, in preseason DVOA, has not won the Super Bowl since the 2007 Patriots. 
Although be aware, the number one team in DVOA and the number one team in wins, in projected wins, are not necessarily the same. They're not the same this year. Buffalo is the number one team in projected DVOA, but they're only fourth in projected average wins behind Dallas, San Francisco, and Kansas City. Right. Interesting. I don't even necessarily think of that, kind of repositioning the chart. Yeah, the one I'm looking at here is, I think, sorted by wins. Yep, so Dallas, San Francisco are one and two in NFC. Kansas City and Buffalo are one and two in the AFC. That's still kind of what you'd expect, though. Yeah, I mean, well, no, da- Dallas, uh, certainly people don't expect uh, maybe Philly. Dallas yeah, Philly. They expect Philly, Philly to be up. Yeah, no, right. you're right. And I think, um, you know, there are some, some things that are surprising in our projections. The fact that we have Dallas above Philly. Uh, the fact that we have Cleveland slightly Cleveland. ahead of Cincinnati. Yep. Although in DVOA, Cincinnati is ahead. But because of schedule, Cleveland has more projected wins on average. So with Cleveland, I mean, the projections, the DV, everything is really counting on a bounce back from, from Watson, right? Yeah, mean, yeah, it really comes down to sample size, right? Like, what do you believe in? Three years or two and a half years of Kevin Stefanski running a good offense in Cleveland with bad quarterbacks or six bad games of Deshaun Watson. Right. And what do you believe in more, like Deshaun Watson's whole career or six bad games in Cleveland? In both cases, the larger sample size points to the idea that this team will be a top 10 offense this year. And then we also have them improving to be on the edge of the top 10 in defense. We have them on the edge of the top 10 in both offense and defense. Now, the next surprise for me was Atlanta, slightly ahead of New Orleans. You know, I'm a Saints fan which means I'm, yep. not, I'm not a Falcons fan, right? Uh, but I understand the NFC South projections in general are going to be relatively favorable because the schedules in general are very weak. So easy. And yeah. these two teams, Atlanta and New Orleans, the gap between their schedule, partly this is because we have Carolina um, we have Carolina and way down, um, yeah. Tampa way down. Yep. But uh, the schedules for Atlanta and New Orleans are the easiest schedules in the league with a big big gap between them and everyone else and Atlanta and New Orleans come out very similar both teams have good defenses and slightly below average offenses in our projections the difference is everyone knows New Orleans's defense is good whereas Atlanta we're expecting improvement from I think I was surprised maybe that if everything else was equal and maybe it wasn't that Derek Carr didn't tip the, the Saints over the Falcons given he wasn't that good last year though okay that's yeah. the problem do you know who was high had a higher DVOA last year Andy Dalton oh, Andy boy. Dalton in New Orleans had a higher DVOA than Derek Carr with Las Vegas I'll so we just what. couldn't <laughs> predict we couldn't predict their offense to be that much better right if I have to watch anything close to what Andy Dalton put forward last year I'll be disappointed um I heard someone I thought this was interesting they're doing with this is with the Saints, and I bet you could do it with Atlanta too. They're saying one by one, just name me the best quarter, the best quarterbacks in the league. Start with who you think is the best, right? And the person was like Mahomes, and the guy's like Saints right. don't play him, doesn't play him. Yeah. Right. All right. Then he's like number two. How about Josh Allen? Nope, doesn't play him. How about Joe Burrow? Nope, doesn't play him. You know how about um, Jalen Hurts? Doesn't play him. whatever it was. Like they named it, it took to like the tenth guy the guy named. The answer you know? is Trevor Lo- Trevor Lawrence. Yep. The answer is Trevor Lawrence and, for Atlanta, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, because their extra AFC East game is the Jets. the Jets. And we got the Patriots, Patriots. I think. Yep. Interesting. Makes sense. Very good. 
Everything's checking out so far. The Jets were one, maybe people would think. Didn't get quite the boost they hoped with Aaron Rodgers in Brees Hall back. And, um, you know. Yeah, but we still have their defenses really, really good. The, we have the Jets' offense as above average. We have the Jets as a playoff team. And we have, you know, their defense still projected number two in the league. It's very interesting. They were super duper healthy last year. But at the same time, they had very few takeaways. So their health is probably going to regress. That's bad. But the takeaways are going to regress. That's good. Now, the thing is, the four hardest schedules in the league belong to the four teams at the AFC East. Yeah, the opposite. So of what I know about. people are super high on yeah. Miami and the Jets, but it just seems very unlikely that more than two teams from that division are going to make the playoffs, given how hard the schedules are for all of them. The anti-NFC South in terms of scheduling, right, is the AFC East. Um, I, I was thinking about Sauce Gardner, and I, was, I think Lattimore when I said this too. I remember growing up, Deion Sanders was the best corner, and he always got picks, right, for whatever reason. Teams tested him or whatever. Maybe it's tackling yeah. or maybe it was study, whatever. Seems like in this era, you have a guy like Lattimore, you have a guy like Gardner. It's almost to cut the field in half. Because teams just don't challenge well, those guys as much. I, I, and again, this is going to be the question. Is that my perception? Do you see that statistically? It's perception. Okay. It's perception. You, there definitely are certain corners who get thrown out less than others, but not to the extent that people avoided Deion Sanders, certainly. Okay. For, first of all, there are fewer teams than you think that use a certain corner to travel with the opponent's best receiver. More teams keep their cornerbacks on specific sides right. than you yep. than you think. And then teams are more willing to throw at the best corners than you would expect. I don't have the numbers in front of me. One thing I can say also, though, is cornerbacks' charting stats, we try to you know do charting stats, are very inconsistent from year to year. And I don't think that's a problem with the stats. Because if you think anecdotally about cornerbacks, cornerbacks in general just seem to generally be inconsistent from year to year. Yeah. It's just an inconsistent position. So, uh, like, you know, I have so much respect for Sauce Gardner, but there's a good chance he's not as good this year as he was last year. Or look at Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs was actually better last year, but he had far fewer interceptions. It was just, it's just inconsistency. Right. And and I think part of it, too, is, you know, the the, the better you are, the more your team puts you in those positions where you don't have the help. You know, you don't have – that could be part of it too, you know. Right. Once you establish yourself like the way Gardner does. Right, the that, coverage yeah. stats The coverage stats do not adjust for who has help. Exactly, right. yeah. yep. Interesting, really interesting. I was thinking about um, Lattimore when you were talking about moving. And generally speaking, he'll stay on the one side unless it's Mike Evans, right? It seems like that's the one matchup. Those guys, they travel together usually every game. But for the yeah, most part – Yeah, let me part, look what, yeah. what we have for New Orleans and I can tell you uh, – you know, the stat that we call cornerback by sides. Okay. Uh, which measures how often the top cornerbacks are on specific sides. And, but the, although this is not only for when Lattimore was healthy, but they were 10th last year to keeping their cornerbacks on sides. Right. But it, yep. may, remember, Lattimore is. He missed know, some not, games. Yep. He missed some games. Yeah. So pretty true to what I've observed um, with my eyes, I guess, on that one. Um, let me ask you about this. I was curious about this I should ask him this when I'm listening to people who are talking about football in a more general not in a less statistical way they're talking about what they're seeing at practice or what they think a team's going to be and they're, they're kind of using the 
the more the eye test method or what the, like someone like maybe Rappaport's going around or whatever. I take what the national people say one way and I respect it. Certainly some more than others. And then I take the what's said the locally, you know, as a Saints fan, like I want to know what Nick Underhill thinks most, because in my opinion, he's the best Saints beat writer from a local perspective. And I think when he gets to spend 100 percent of his job on that versus someone like Rappaport or Peter King who gets to spend six percent on that team, I, I really. Oh, am, my God. The, yeah. same, the same is true for me. Yeah, I, that's what <laughs> I was going to ask know, you. It's yeah. hard. It is hard to yeah. track 32 teams. Yeah. Like, there's no question. I mean, you know, there are some people online who do EPA-related analytics only for a specific team. And those okay. people know those teams really, right. really, really well. And the only team that I know that well is the Patriots because the Patriots are That's my your team. team. Yep. But, um, oh, my God, like one of the biggest differences in the NFL between 20 years ago when I started and now is how good beat reporters are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when I started out, I used to talk about this. Like my goal was not to improve the way that football was played. It was to improve the way football was covered. And when it comes to beat reporters, mission accomplished. They are so much more knowledgeable now about both analytics and scouting than they were 20 years ago. It's mind blowing. And, and that goes a great example, Nick, too. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. Mike Reese or Mike Reese in New England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or Kevin Seifert covering the Vikings. Like, it's just uh, uh, beat writers are so much better than they used to be. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, and you, I kind of did touch on it. I was going to ask you if you ever do get input specifically from someone who covers the local team about things. Just maybe if, if do you ever call and say, hey, I'm seeing this. Does this make sense on what you see or whatever yeah. when you're putting the element yeah, together? Yeah, and, and the writers, the specific writers. Okay. For the, the specific writers of yep. the chapters did that a lot. Like I know Kale Clinton talked to Rich Semini for the Jets chapter a bit and changed a little bit of what he wrote based on what Rich said. Super smart, yeah, super smart. You guys are you guys are all over it. Uh, let's talk about the Super Bowl for a second. You said you've been hot. Um, it looks like if we're going by preseason odds on percentage in the book, it looks like the highest percentage Super Bowl is Dallas versus Kansas City. Uh, uh, yeah, for making the playoffs, for reach for uh, reaching the Super Bowl, it would be Dallas and Buffalo. Okay, for winning, it was Dallas is the highest. And I was looking at yes. winning. Yeah, reaching is goes, Dallas Buffalo. Gotcha. Dow- yeah. So my personal pick is San Francisco Buffalo. I just Chris Berman I just pick. Trust, the Chris Berman uh, pick. It's there. the Chris Berman pick. <laughs> Brown University. Brown yep. University guys sticking <laughs> together. Um, I just trust Kyle Shanahan more than I trust Mike McCarthy when the chips are down. And so uh, if I have to make a pick, I'll, I'll pick San Francisco instead of Dallas. And you got it. San Francisco's that team, too. They got to be looking back at last season and be saying, like, we were never actually beat. We just ran out. We just didn't have any quarterbacks left. You know, like, I mean, unfortunately, New Orleans, New Orleans is a team that goes against what I'm about to say. But like I keep saying, you know, history is filled with teams that couldn't get over the hump until they did. Right. Yes, that right? seventeen like, to twenty-one group never got over the hump. San, yep. San Francisco, San Francisco, Buffalo, Dallas—all those fans of those teams feel like they've just never quite gotten over the hump. But this might be the year. This might be the year. And yeah, New Orleans—that New Orleans team from the late teens—is an example of a team that never did get over the hump. But um, you know, there's—I don't believe that your postseason uh, that we learn 
from one postseason loss more than we learned from an entire regular season. And when you look at the entire regular season, Dallas, Buffalo, San Francisco, Cincinnati too, those are among the top teams in the league. They all have a strong chance to make it to the end, even if none of them has won a Super Bowl yet. You know what's interesting about that too is when we talked last year, I asked you, you know, okay, the Bills win the Super Bowl and this percentage of simulations, whatever it was last year. I said, what usually happens in the ones where they don't win it? And it's exactly what happened to them. They just get picked off one day by one of the teams close to them. That's exactly yeah. what happened, right? They just got, they just happened on that day to get picked off by Cincinnati. Yeah. One of our top projections, you know, one of our top projecting teams will be wrong. You know, will not be that good. They'll be, you know, hit by a lot of injuries or, you know, will, you know, Deshaun Watson will suck. Right. Or something. But for the most part, the teams we project to be good will be good. Uh, and then there's a little bit of randomness to who shows up when it comes to the playoffs. Let me ask you this because, well, well, hold on. Let's finish the Super Bowl thought. What, where, where is your, I know what we're predicting on paper. Uh, we, we already said that. You said you like Buffalo and uh, San Fran to make it. Do you have a Do you have a winner, or you just do the? You just I do mean, the if, teams? You, if I have to pick a winner, I would pick Buffalo. Okay. But, well, people uh, here will love that. They'll love to hear yeah. that. You, yeah. I still think though, maybe you're still trying to suck up a little bit after that Josh Allen thing. No, this is the last year. <laughs> this is the last year of this because their cap their cap situation after this year is terrible. Okay, so you feel like, like this better, is the window. They better do it this. Yeah, they better do yep. it this year. Like, okay. This is the window. Yeah. Okay. I still, I'm still gonna say people have been saying that to me for 15 years about the Saints, though. Um, and you know, they weren't great the last two years. I get it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I will. They hit the wall. They I will say. Wall. I will say this though: when Jameis got hurt on um, Halloween, they're five and two. Already beat Tampa once. Had killed Green Bay. You know, one loss was one. You know, self-inflicted wound to the Giants. That team, that team with Jameis that year could have been a good team. Um, but Trevor Simeon wasn't going to do it once Jameis went down. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Um, we'll see. This year is a big year for them, I think. People always ask me, are you excited about them? It's like, I like the roster. But then at the end of the day, the quarterback is Derek Carr and the head coach is Dennis Allen. And that's not exactly making me do backflips. You know what I mean? So we'll have to see. Lots of proof. I think I know the answer to this. But um, Kamara getting suspended for three games, that changes essentially nothing. If Brady didn't change much being out four games, I can't imagine Kamara being out three games changes much. Right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't change. You know, I just, I'm not a believer that running backs really move the needle very much. And um, I mean, you know, you probably slightly uh, worse chances of winning the first three games. But yeah, I wouldn't change anything in my projection because of it. That year with Brady and the four games, I know you really didn't change much, if anything. We talked about it that year. Do you notice a tipping point? Is there a number you have in mind where it's like like the Bills? This is, in your view, an important year for them. Salary cap's coming. Is there a tipping point in terms of number of games you think Josh Allen could miss? And you can sort of like the one Saints team missed Breeze missed five games. You know, Bridgewater held together. They won five games. That injury certainly didn't cost that team. Is I don't know number? what the tipping point would be. Okay. The tipping point, a t- the tipping point is essentially whatever number of games is between winning the division and winning a wild card. Gotcha. Because you just you want to at least get the first the game one home game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I don't, you know, I'd have to compute for your average team, you know, what's the line between the division title and the wild card, and then how many games does your quarterback have to miss before you hit that line? But that's the line. Right. 
might be a, an interesting study one year for someone who wants to do an article or whatever. Could be interesting to look at that. Um, a couple more, and I'll let you go. The sportscasters are here with uh, with our good friend from formerly Football Outsiders. Now it's F- FTN. Did I get that right? Yes, FTN. Yeah, FTN. F- the FTN Football Almanac at ftnfantasy.com. Beautiful. And props. And thank you, thank you, thank you to FTN again for making the Almanac a possibility this year. I'm really excited. Uh, we'll play, we'll lay out all the plugs, too, in a minute. You can give everything and everywhere to go for sure. Yep. Uh, we'll do that in a second. Um, the quarterbacks coming into the league. We talked about Josh Allen. Uh, the quarterbacks coming into the league. And I was telling, I was telling my brother, I was like, you know what? Aaron's kind of got it covered. He's like, at that level, he predicted two guys to or two guys have succeed, and he put it at 2%. Matt Ryan yep. and, and Josh Allen if are the look, two guys. If you look so at he, the it's like hard to say he's wrong. Yeah. At like 140 quarterbacks or whatever, that that system put it two percent or less. Yeah, two two of them, Matt Ryan and Josh Allen. Two of them were awesome. Yes. <laughs> so it's hard to say you were wrong. Uh, what about these guys? How do these the the the, the three the three big first rounders this year? How do they look? Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, first of all, remember rookies just tend to struggle as rookies, right? Yep. Like even if they're really good, uh, none of these guys come out great. In the projections, but Bryce Young is the top guy, and then Stroud. Okay. And then there's a big drop to Levis, and then another drop to Richardson. Richardson is really interesting. He is designed for our system to hate it. I mean, he only played one year of college. Right. Like, I do not begrudge him going fourth overall, no matter what our system says. I think his odds are not great, but if he hits, he's going to be amazing. So... You know, maybe a like true wild card we'll there. Yeah, right. But I mean, you know, our system is designed to hate a guy who, you know, had a low completion rate because he threw deep a lot and only played one year of college. And it's just, you know, but with Young and Stroud, it doesn't like them as much as you might think because they were surrounded by quality talent. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it drops <laughs> them from having so much for having so much talent around them. Who are the top guys in that? Like we talk about Allen and and of the one forty, Allen and uh, being the oh long the top shot. guys, uh, Andrew Luck, Philip okay. Rivers, Luck Russell Rivers. Wilson, oh Wilson, okay, uh, Carson Palmer. Um, I think that the system was built back to like ninety eight, so Peyton Manning, okay, Got um, it. but also guy, you know, it did guys it was wrong about like uh, I think Leinart and Brady Quinn, mm. you know, it mm. it's. Quarterbacks are crapshoot, man. You know what's interesting too about this rookie quarterbacks is if I asked a fantasy guy that question, Richardson is number one every time. Oh, he, oh, he, I c- took because of the running. You know, yeah, I took him in the Scott Fishbowl. I took Richardson. Yeah, interesting. Who do the what rookies did? What rookies are, is the is your projections really high on this year? Bijan Robinson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison has the opportunity, right? You know, he's going to start. Mm-hmm opportunities so. yep how does the, how does the system look at a guy like bryce Brees, who number one overall recruit great freshman year but then off field things like it's hard to quantify oh his sister was dying of cancer right i mean well, who is this the saints first round pick Brees, bryce Brees. is that did i say his name right well i mean I, I, we don't have projections for defense okay you don't do so. defense okay gotcha fair enough i don't know okay makes sense we do edge rushers we do edge rushers okay right well but I, he's not an edge rusher he's no a, he's, he's an interior def- lineman. makes sense yeah. Fair enough. Uh, maybe. Uh, what about generally speaking, though? Would you find those situations where there's someone 
who it's really been an off the field thing that has kept maybe their yeah, college you production. Have, you have guys, you have guys, you know, I mean, no statistical system is meant to be used on its own. You always have to use common sense with it. So sure. You'll have guys who there's an explanation for why they do, don't do well in a system. Sure. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a team that didn't make the playoffs last year that like, maybe Cleveland sounds like maybe is the answer, but do you have a team that didn't make the playoffs last year? That's your favorite to make them and maybe be a factor in them this year? Well, to make them Atlanta. Okay. To be a factor in them, I think the team that's most likely to be a factor is the Jets if Aaron Rodgers is on the upper bounds of the possibilities. Sure. If Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, that could be a scary team, right? And Cleveland, you know, Cleveland, uh, I talked to a friend who works for them and he was like, it's weird to wear the black hat. Like, if you talk about what we ourselves are rooting for, like, I have people who work for Cleveland who I have a lot of respect for and people who I would consider friends. Uh, and yet the Deshaun Watson thing right. makes people them very difficult root to root for. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's, I'm very torn about the Cleveland situation. So, I mean, those people didn't decide to, right. let's be honest. To that. That, right? was an ownership. that was an ownership, was an ownership call. Yeah. That's an ownership call. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When you give that much money and you make that kind of decision with that kind that's an ownership thing. Right. And it's not, look, I mean, my friends are analytics people. It's not the job of the analytics staff to make your moral decisions for you right. anyway. So, so I mean, analytics. if yeah. they went to him and they went to those guys and said, you know, Deshaun Watson, they're going to come back and go, Deshaun Watson, good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Here are the analytics. It's, it's Jimmy Haslam's, uh, it's Jimmy Haslam's, uh, makes the moral decisions for that team. So it's, you know, I'm, tor- I'm torn about uh, Cleveland. What do you think about Minnesota? I mean, obviously they were, we a hate po- them. you hate them. Okay. Yeah. They're all, oh, they're we way down. 6.4 wins. 27th in DVOA last year, despite the 13 and four record. There's never been anything like it. It's crazy. And then they went out and lost talent this off season. Right. Did you right, have a no lot more. of money on the Giants in that playoff game? Were you was that right in your? No, wheel? I didn't have any. I didn't have any money uh, on the Giants. In part because the Giants were similar. Okay, they weren't. Right, they the weren't Giants darlings also, either. Yeah, the Giants also overperformed their underlying statistics. Sure. So while I picked the Giants in that game, it wasn't like a fait accompli. And you have them at six point four wins too projected. We yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I'm more likely wrong about the Giants than the Vikings because Brian Dable, what Brian Dable pulled off last year, given the number of injuries that the Giants had, was awesome. That being said, I said the four hardest schedules in the league belong to the AFC East, right? The, yep. fifth, hardest, the fifth hardest schedule belongs to the Giants. Oof. Right. Rough. Chicago's last. What did you think of their offseason? It was great. Yeah. Okay. Just still a ways to go. It's great. It, it just still a ways to go. I mean, I like the, they they wouldn't necessarily be last if we had produced this after Nakakwe signed. Um, but uh, listen, Justin Fields has been a terrible passer. Like I want to see him succeed. Right? It would mm-hmm. be fun. Yeah, it would be fun. But the the running uh, covers up what a terrible passer he's been. Just how many sacks he takes. It's just very unlikely that he's going to become an above average passer. I mean, he doesn't need to be an above average passer to be an average quarterback. Right. But he kind of needs to be an above average passer to be an above average quarterback. Very fair. We'll see with DJ Moore this year, you know, certainly. Although, you know, yeah, tough, I tough mean, to complain too help. much about Allen Robinson. He's got help. Yeah. I mean, we like their offense better than we like their defense. Sure. 
Ah, he's interesting. He's interesting because not only does he run, he consistently hits long home runs with those runs. You know what I mean? Like it seems like every week. Again, this is anecdotal. Yeah, but just it spectacular. Like, highlights. Yeah, spectacular yeah. highlights. Uh, all right, let's let's do the plugs, and then I got one more to get you out on a fun one. So why don't you just lay everything out so we can make sure people buy the almanac? Yeah, it's at ftnfantasy.com, and look for the picture of Patrick Mahomes. It's thirty four ninety nine for the PDF. The physical book, the physical book will be at Amazon sometime in the next couple of days. So FTN, search for FTN Football Almanac, and when it shows up, it shows up. They're in the middle of reviewing it right now, and that'll be the physical book. And um, you know, watch my Twitter at a shots NFL, and uh, I'll announce where I'm going once I figure out what my future is. Very exciting. So let's do this as a last thing. Uh, give me, see, you're, you're in it, studying it. You, you've got all, uh, with all the information you have, give me a fun, bold prediction for the, for the season. Uh, I feel like I already did with Atlanta. I mean, <laughs> my, my, yeah, but I mean, that's my bold prediction. Okay. My you're, bold you're prediction. riding with Atlanta. Two, two NFC South teams will make the playoffs. And the Saints are the other one. And the Saints are the other one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll root for that. I don't know how much I can root for. I love you. And I want to root for you, but you understand when it comes to Atlanta. Yeah, you know, I know. If my but mom I also had it, have New Orleans, it, but I yeah, also that, have New so Orleans I can root for that. Place. Yeah, I can root for that. Like as I say, my mom had an almanac, and she was like running around talking about the Falcons. I'm, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like mom. You know, but yeah, there's not much difference. The projections for the two teams are not very different, so it's really. And I'm not fighting it. You know, I think we're, it's, we're it's making, a fair. Yeah, we're it's making fair. a bigger. We're making a bigger deal out of Atlanta just because. Most people already think that the Saints will win the division, right? And we want to point out it's that these two teams are both going to be similar. I mentioned that to someone. I was like, I don't know. I'm worried about Atlanta. You know, like they had a couple thousand yard. They were a great running team last year, and they didn't have Bijan Robinson. You know, so yeah, I'm not. You, you notice I'm not arguing that much. I hope you're wrong, but I mean, I don't. You know, I think there's a good reason for your predictions there. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, nope. I'm good. Are you going to be set. on WGR, my friends, Chopin the Bulldog this year at all? Yeah, I yeah. think um, in the next day or two. Beautiful. Tell them I said hello. I will. I got to do an interview with both of them, you know, together and get to talk about the whole career and the partner. It was fun. I love those guys. Those guys are good to me. So, and I love hearing you on there. I think you and Mike have such similar minds that yeah, I we've love. Got good, uh, yeah, chemistry. I love to hear you two. I, every time I hear you on there, I'm like, damn, I wish I could do it that good with Aaron, but. You know, that's Mike. He just thinks like you do, I think. You guys have some simpatico. So, so we're, all, we're my, pretty simpatico. all my Buffalo people that don't listen, you know, come on. This That's the spot to hear on WGR every year for sure. And it's coming soon. Thanks, Aaron. All right, man. All right. Be well. Yeah, thanks a lot. I guess that's, that's the end of the interview. So, uh, yeah, just let <laughs> me know when it's up. Thank Aaron Schatz and Field Yates for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can you can listen to this episode and all episodes and all interviews in Sportscasters history on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. 
You can follow me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. It's now called X, but it's Twitter X. Call it what you will. Find me there. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. Instagram, I'm simply at sportscasters, and you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you'd like. Uh, don't forget the 24-inch podcast, which is available on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud, at 24-inch podcast on Twitter. Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and I look back at the career of Hulk Hogan. Uh, we do it once or twice a month. We got one coming up on SummerSlam 05 when Hulk Hogan headlined against Shawn Michaels. Uh, out of our comfort zone a little bit. We're usually in the 80s or the 90s, but we're going to do something fun uh, with SummerSlam season and do that. Don't forget, you can find us also on Instagram at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast or email us 24 inch podcast at gmail.com. One last thing, 3x5 with Steve Bennett. New episodes every Tuesday at 10 a.m. One debuted yesterday, which includes my top five week one NFL games this year. Uh, all you have to do is search North South Connection on YouTube. Please follow like comment review send a fax whatever you do over there all right one last thing for me today and it occurred to me yesterday that as the hard knocks debuted and i know nobody wanted to do it this year and i think because of that i've noticed my friends aren't as interested i think if every nfl team is telling you that this show is garbage it seems like that attitude has leaked out into my world but i love hard knocks i've been a long time hard knocks watcher and as it debuted yesterday i thought holy hell are we in a golden era for sports documentaries and things of that type right now i just wrote down i did this all off the top of my head what you could watch right now reggie jackson on prime has a new documentary called reggie uh, Yogi Berra has a documentary that I've raved about. Might be the best sports documentary I've ever watched. You can rent that on iTunes. Cody Rhodes just released a documentary. The WWF with Cody Rhodes just released a documentary on Peacock, chronicling his career and his father, the late Dusty Rhodes, and living in his shadow. It's great, really good. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring is finishing maybe their best season. Uh, Brian Gewurz was on this show to talk about his book. He's one of the producers, of course, of Dark Side. Um, uh, and, and a lot of the different things out there in terms of that kind of wrestling programming, the rocks company, they also did the tales of the territories, uh, uh you know, the young rock show, uh, that's been fantastic this year. It finished with the Marty Jannetty episode last night, uh, quarterback is on Netflix, which I raved about, did one last thing on it. The untold documentaries, which is maybe famous mostly for its episode on the, uh, the, the garbage team from Connecticut, the hockey team. Uh, they're back. They have a really great documentary about the Paul brothers and an insanely good documentary about Johnny football. You can watch that on Netflix. Also, Winning Time, which is more of a scripted TV show, is a scripted TV show, but that's back for season two on HBO or Max. You have the entire 30 for 30 library available on ESPN+. Plus. The Last Dance is available there, also on Netflix. Jeter has a multi-part documentary there tom brady is a multi-part documentary there peyton's places is on espn plus which is spun off the eli's places and pk suban's places and john McEnroe's places and probably more places i can't remember holy snickers are we in an era if you enjoy the sports documentary if you enjoy the hard full season hard knocks will be back 
all or nothing on Prime, which is really at its best when they're doing soccer. They've had some insane Premier League seasons like uh, with Arsenal and with Man City and with um, Tottenham. It's the golden era for this, and I I love it. So I am watching them all. Uh, I I watched Cody. That was very good. Watch Yogi. That was an all-time great. Best season of Dark Side so far. I enjoyed the first episode of Hard Knocks. You know, I thought it felt and looked it sounded like hard knocks to me and i'm not tired of it for whatever reason so i'm not as worried if the jets don't want to show people being cut that's like two to five minutes of an episode every season not that big of a deal quarterback on netflix that was incredible you know the both of the untold documentaries are out so far very good and we got one coming on urban meyer first season of winning time was great there's also, oh, this is another one, American Gladiators, a 30 for 30 and a multi-part documentary on Netflix. The, the one on Netflix was great. 30 for 30 was good, too. It's just, it's an incredible era to watch this kind of a thing. So if you enjoy it, hop in. I just named like 20, and I did that off the top of my head. Um, so the, they're certainly out there if you enjoy them. All right, it's August. It's sportscaster season, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'll be back very soon with another episode of the sportscasters i am out <laughs>